Amen. This is the 11th and I think final lesson on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we started in April, April the 19th on a Wednesday night and with revivals and camp meetings and all kinds of other stuff, missionaries, which has taken us that long. The point is we could have grown the fruit, the actual fruit, just as fast as it took to do this series. Amen. If I ever do one on the Great Tribulation, it's going to take 49 years. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. God, I thank you for your goodness and mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your word, for this great congregation of people in this church. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Have your way in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. God bless you for standing. Amen. I've made a statement the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to reiterate it again, that God loves us just like we are. How many are thankful for that? Amen. God loves us just like we are. And he refuses to leave us the way that he found us. And so God loves us, but he wants us to grow in him. And his desire is that we bear the fruit of discipleship. The Bible did not say go make converts. It said go make disciples. Now, I know that to, to, make, a, to make a disciple, you got to make a convert. But, uh, but the goal is not just to get people in the water and just get another name on the church roll. The goal is for people to grow and be disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 7, chapter, or I'm sorry, chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, he said, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. We are known not by what we say, but by the fruit that we bear. Amen. Jesus said a good tree can't bring forth bad fruit and a bad tree can't bring forth good fruit. And so the fruit of discipleship that we bear in our life gives evidence to our relationship with the Lord. Amen. Tonight we're going to talk about the final three fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about faith, meekness, and temperance. When it comes to faith, the Greek word used here in this passage it means a firm persuasion, a belief, a trust, a trustworthiness, confidence, fidelity. Everybody say fidelity. Fidelity and moral conviction. Faith is what you believe as well as the strength of how much you believe it. It refers to our belief system. Amen. Here, this particular passage is not necessarily talking about 
about you know having faith that a prayer will be answered, but it's talking about what we believe, our faith, our belief system, and our firm persuasion. But not only that, it's our trusty, trustworthiness and fidelity and moral conviction. And so when we're talking about the fruit of faith, what we're talking about is what we believe and how much we believe it. The Greek definition touches on the word fidelity. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines the term fidelity as faithfulness to a cause or belief. It's demonstrated by continuing, continuing loyalty and support. So when we're talking about fidelity, what we're really talking about is our commitment to what we believe and to the worship and the practice of what we believe. Fidelity refers to the degree of exactness with which something is copied or reproduced. And so something that has high fidelity is very much like the original. And something that has a low degree of fidelity is something that is much different than the original. And uh, I did a, I, I, I've used this here at the church before, and I wish, I wish I'd have thought to have the pictures of it uh, given to the media team. But back several years ago, you know, now we have a lot better uh, copier systems. They have digital, they scan and all that. But uh, back several years ago when we had more of an analog copier system, I took my Bible and I opened it to Acts 2, and then I, I, Brother Paul, I copied that page, Acts 2.38. And then I took that copy and I laid it on the copier. And they say that was a first-generation copy. I took the first generation and laid it on the copier, and I made a second generation. Then I took the second generation, laid it, you get the picture, all the way out to like 70-some generations. By the time you got... To, the, to the, that final generation, you could not tell any words whatsoever. It's just a few black specks and smudges on the paper because every generation had lost a little bit until once you got so many generations out, the message was completely lost. The reason I did that number of generations is because that's how many generations we are from Pentecost. And so if we don't have a high degree of fidelity to the original, then the message will be completely lost. You want to know why some people can look at the Bible and not believe in the Holy Ghost at all, not believe in baptism in Jesus' name, and believe all? Can you believe that there are, are, are so-called churches, Pentecostal churches, that ordain homosexual ministers? The only way that you can get that far off is because you don't have a high degree of fidelity to the original message. So when we're talking about faith, one of the things we're really talking about is making sure that we stay true to the Bible, that we don't just, just change it because we want to and, and augment it because we feel like it. But if we're going to have faith, one of the things that the Spirit of God will produce in a disciple is a desire to be as close to the original Bible doctrine as possible. Amen. A high degree of fidelity. That word, if you notice the powerful words associated with the definition, fidelity, faithfulness, loyalty, support, a high degree of exactness with which something is reproduced. Amen. I don't want my children to have a copy. 
I want my children to have an original experience. Amen. I don't want our next generation, the children that are out in class right now, and the kids that are in, in juniors and in youth class, I don't want them to have a copy of what somebody else had. I want to lead them all the way back to the cross, all the way back to the upper room, so they can have an original experience. That's how you produce fidelity. Amen. That's how you produce faith. Fidelity is not truly present if something is not reproduced to a high degree of exactness. When we start saying things like, well, I don't think God cares about that, or I, I don't think God cares about that, or I, I don't think that's really that important, it is not my job to think for God. God doesn't, he's the most brilliant mind there's ever been. He created all of creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, every intricate system in the body and in creation all came from the mind of God. A God that has that kind of mind sure doesn't need me to think for him. What he needs for me is for me to obey what he said in his word. And so, and so he doesn't need me to think for him. And so me sitting down and thinking, well, I don't think the Bible really needs to, should, should talk about that. It's not my place to talk about what the Bible should or shouldn't talk about. My job is to obey the scripture. I want to have a high degree of exactness, high fidelity and sound High fidelity is a term that refers to high quality sound reproduction. It, the word, it's shortened to hi-fi. And it means that it is distinguished from poor, from poor quality or inferior quality. High fidelity has minimal amounts of outside noise, minimal amounts of distortion, and it focuses on an accurate frequency response. It is the attempt to make whatever you hear as much like the original production as it possibly can be. It's not to be distorted. I was in an airport the other day, and, uh, and, and they were making all these announcements, and it sounded like, and I, one time I was going through a drive-thru with Brother Covey, and he speaks Louisiana knees. And... He was trying to order some, some hush puppies at cookout, and, and he couldn't understand the girl at the drive-thru, and the girl at the drive-thru couldn't understand him. And he's getting more and more angry, and she was saying, whoo, 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 and he was like, <laughs> you know? and, uh, and so I said, I'm pulling up. And when I pulled up, I said, all he wants is some hush puppies. She said, why didn't he say so? And he said, I did. <laughs> There's something wrong with that sound system. <laughs> High fidelity means that what you get on one end is the same as you get on the other end. It's not inferior. It's not cheapened. It's not watered down. It's not changed from the original. If someone has the Holy Ghost and it's producing fruit in their life, their life should mirror the experience of the original church Doctrinally, experientially, lifestyle-wise, we should not be so far off from what the book of Acts says. Amen. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, the apostle Paul, at the end of his life, here's what he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And this phrase, I have kept the faith. What good is fighting a good fight and running your race 
if you don't keep the faith. When you get at the end of the race, you have to have the same faith you started the race with. And he said, I have kept the faith. Now, the next verse, henceforth, or because of this, as a result of keeping the faith, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Amen. I want to keep the faith so I can win a crown. Amen. Wouldn't it be a shame for the church to have started in the upper room, made it through all the centuries and through all the years and through all the changes in the world, only for us to get this close to the end and thus drop what the faith is? Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Amen. We want to keep the faith. There's a crown to win. The next is, is meekness. Meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. Meekness and gentleness are very similar. So similar that it's almost a surprise to some scholars that they're both on the list. It can get confusing when you, when you study sometimes because when you read a lot of Christian material on the fruit of the Spirit, they don't use the same terminology that we're familiar with because we primarily use the King James Version. The KJV uses the terms gentleness and meekness on this list of the fruit of the Spirit. Other versions replace gentleness with kindness, and they replace meekness with gentleness. And so it's, you just kind of have to navigate your, through, your, your way through all that. So studying a lot of the material can get a little bit confusing. We talked about gentleness last week and how that the word gentleness meant kindness, and I brought out the definition that it is kindness, a gracious attitude towards others, even those who are difficult and resistant, and it's being kind to those who are not kind towards you. Meekness, however, is defined as humility, gentleness, and mildness. Meekness is a personality trait where kindness is how you treat others. It's how you manifest your actions to other people. They're very similar. Meekness is the ability to endure criticism and hostility without aggression. Meekness shows itself when I've learned that the Christ-like way to respond to conflict and quarrels Rejection, unfairness, or harsh words spoken against me is not with bluster and self-defense and harsh, aggressive words or angry facial gestures and rolling of the eyes, expressions. That quiet must be conviction. Say yes, but roll your eyes while doing it. Passive aggressiveness. I know I'm not preaching into you, but so those folks out there watching it on video, I'm probably getting them good. It's responding to quarrels, conflict, rejection, unfairness, and harsh words spoken with a softness of spirit and controlling my tongue and temper. 
I didn't get a single amen on that. Hurts, don't it? Because it goes against our nature. Not only does it go against our nature, but it goes against our culture. Christopher Wright, one of my favorite authors, made an interesting point regarding meekness in the ancient world. He writes and talks about how the culture at the time of Christ was heavily influenced by Rome and Greece. And that meekness and humility in the Greco-Roman world was despised in their culture. Humility was not viewed as a virtue. It was emphatically not one of their heroic virtues. In fact, humility was 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 perceived almost like a vice or a weakness. Real men, according to the Greco-Roman mentality, were not gentle or humble. Real men were strong, powerful, and dominant, boasting about superiority, was not regarded as being in bad taste. It was expected. Boasting was a, a, quote, carefully cultivated art form. Therefore, meekness was something that was not taught, reinforced, or appreciated. However, it was the way of Jesus Christ. That Greco-Roman, I don't need anything or anyone, that attitude refuses to rely on a personal God that calls us to submit to his will and his word and to praise him. And so God values in people an attitude that allows him to be God in their life. Psalms 22 and 26, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. I'm talking now about the benefits of meekness as a fruit of the spirit. Humility and gentleness in the presence of the Lord leads to satisfaction in life. Meek people, praise him. It's what the Bible says, right? The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord. People that don't feel, don't have a, don't, don't feel the humility and the need for God, don't praise him. I don't need him, so why should I acknowledge him? Psalms 25 and 9, the meek he will guide in judgment, and the meek he will teach his way. Judgment here means justice. He said the meek he will guide in justice. The meek will be people who are just and treat others properly. And the meek will he teach his way. It's an attitude of humility towards God that says I'll yield to him and his word and I'll let him teach me how I'm supposed to live. If we lose our meekness, we compromise justice and lose teachability. Psalms 37 and 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The proud, aggressive, and brash may conquer the earth for a time but the meek will inherit it. The aggressive fighters may get part of it by great cost, but in the end, the meek inherit it from their heavenly father. 
They shall delight, the Bible says, they shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Psalms 147 and 6. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Psalms 149 and 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Isaiah 29 and 19. The meek also shall increase their joy. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among, the, among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. What you can see is meekness is an attitude towards God. It's an attitude that acknowledges I need him. I need his presence. I need his help. I need his word. I need to learn of him. And it's, it's that attitude towards God. That is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that softens our heart and allows us to be teachable in the presence of the Lord. Let me go a little bit further here. Isaiah 61 and 1. This is a verse that Jesus quoted in the Gospels. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Who did the, who did the, well, who was the spirit preaching to? What was the anointing preaching to? The Bible said he's anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. Our attitude towards the word of God and how much we acknowledge we need him will determine how much the spirit will talk to us. Amen. Right now, this Israel-Hamas conflict is dominating the news. Here, here's an interesting passage from one of the minor prophets from Zephaniah chapter number two. I think that uh, would give us a reason to pay close attention. Zephaniah two, verse number three and verse number four. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, Seek meekness. Now, how many of you ever prayed for righteousness? God, help me to, to be righteous. Anybody? There's a few head nods, a few. Have you ever said, God, help me to be meek? We don't pray that a lot, do we? But the Bible says, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be Ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forsaken and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday and Ekron shall be rooted up. He, it's a, this is a prophecy. This is a prophet that's saying there's going to come a time Gaza is going to be forsaken. It's going to be desolation. It's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tore up. He said, in that day, what you need to do is seek righteousness and seek meekness. And it might be that the Lord, in that day, you might be hid from the Lord's anger. I'm telling you, this is a time to seek to be right, righteousness, but also to have the right spirit. God, help me to be meek 
Help me to have the right spirit in the, of, the, in, of my attitude towards seeking you. The greatest sermon ever preached was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, he gives the Beatitudes or the things that bring blessings. When you see people talk about the Beatitudes, what those are, they're things that Jesus said would bring blessings. Here's what he said in Matthew 5 and 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said in 29 and 30, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He said, take my yoke upon you. Get, get, put your, connect yourself in the same yoke that I'm in. Learn about me, for I'm meek and lowly. There's something about meekness that opens up knowledge and understanding of God. Here's a very unpopular verse in modern culture. It might even be very unpopular here tonight. We'll see. 1 Peter chapter number 3, verses 1 through 4. Likewise, ye wives. Oh, see, I told you it might not. Be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word, they also may live, may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. In other words, if your husband is not saved, that your attitude and conversation can be a witness to your husband. Amen. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning... Let it not be with the outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. What is it, what's valuable about a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price? God values meekness. Society might not, culture might not, but God values it. He said it's of a great price. So to wrap up this section on meekness, what we see emerging from the Old and New Testament subject on meekness is that it's a humble attitude that leads to teachability and moldability towards God. Meekness goes to God and says, God, whatever you want me to be, whatever you, however you want me to live, whatever you want me to do, God, I'm yours. God, I'm not demanding my own will in my own way. But God, I'm submitted to your spirit, to the word, and to godly leadership that allows us to grow in grace and in his word. The words that are associated with meekness, just to, to sum it up, Show the benefits of meekness. Here's the words. I'm going back through all these verses and pulling out these words or phrases. Satisfied, praise, live forever, justice, inherit, delight, abundance of peace. The Lord lifts them up. He beautifies them with salvation. 
They will increase in joy. They will have good tidings. They are hid from the Lord's anger. They are blessed. They find rest for their souls. And they are of great price to the Lord. There is a powerful blessing in meekness. Amen. Let's talk about temperance for a few minutes. We're almost done. Temperance, by definition, is self-control. It's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. Everybody say self-control. Temperance is self-control. It's the virtue of someone who masters his desires and passions, especially sensual appetites or the desires of the flesh. Temperance can be summed up as self-control, self-restraint, and self-discipline. Those are three qualities that are in short supply in this generation. Self-control, self-restraint, and self-discipline. When we started this series 11 lessons ago, we spent a lot of time on a list that Paul preceded this list with in chapter five called the works of the flesh. Here's what he said, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and then this phrase, and such like. If the apostles could have looked ahead 2,000 years and seen some of the perverted things that this generation has dreamed up, They'd have stood at restrooms and smacked a boy that tried to go into a girl's restroom. It probably got us canceled on Facebook. And such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. These works of the flesh are human nature out of control. It is human nature without temperance, without self restraint, without self control, without self discipline. This list and such like are what happens when people fail to practice temperance and self control. The first eight fruit of the Spirit are all mirroring qualities of God. When it comes to self-control, this is a specifically human thing because God doesn't have to practice self-control. He's God. He doesn't deal with the same temptations that we do. He has no sin nature, therefore he has no need. But the Spirit enables you and I I'm telling you today, you can overcome whatever the weakness of your flesh is, but you have to practice self-control and temperance. 
Whatever you give yourself license to do, you'll do it. Whatever you allow will become part of your life. And it's the self-discipline and self-control that will take your walk with God to another level. The Spirit empowers us to control our sinful desires. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 and 5, that every one of you, well, that's just for the preachers. Well, here, look, what did he say? Is it up? Yeah, there it is. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. He said, listen, you're a child of God. You're supposed to learn how to practice self-control. Don't give yourself permission to live like the Gentiles live, which know not God. He said there is a difference between godly people and people that don't know God. Can I tell you, there's a difference between Holy Ghost-filled, Bible-believing people and people that don't know God. Amen. And we should not hold ourselves to the low standard of culture. We should hold ourselves to the high standard of Scripture. Amen. That every one of us should know how. That every, God's desire is for all of us to grow. Amen. Don't live like people who don't know God. Don't give yourself permission to just accept things in weakness. We should know, we should figure out how to live, how to possess our vessel, our flesh in sanctification. And the Bible said in sanctification, which means holiness. God wants us to be holy. And then he said, and honor. And that word honor means to esteem something as valuable, of high value, of worth. Can I tell you that you need to see yourself as valuable and of high worth to God? I just, I just did a whole section on humility and meekness. And so what I'm saying now is not in contradiction to that. But what you need to see is yourself as valuable to God. Amen. You're important to the kingdom of God. You're important to God. You're important to the church. And so you have to view yourself as important enough to hold yourself to a high standard. Amen. Praise God. A team is only as good as its weakest link. And if somebody wants to be on a championship team, it takes the team holding themselves accountable and each individual holding themselves accountable. And so when it comes to living for God and advancing the kingdom in the world, you must view yourself as important enough to live right. Amen. It's good preaching right there. I'll give you a chance to say another amen. Because if you don't say that, then if you don't get that conviction, then what you do tomorrow doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anything. But the Bible said you're supposed to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. I need to live holy because I'm valuable to God and I mean something to God and to the kingdom of God. Your body, your flesh has high worth to the kingdom of God. 
Your flesh is the vehicle that the devil wants to use to destroy your soul. If he can get to your flesh, he can get to your spirit. And so you have to understand that controlling the flesh is shutting the door on the devil. Amen. Paul taught us that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. So seek for the spirit to control us so that we can learn how to control ourselves. Let's move just a little bit longer here. Luke chapter number four, verses one through three, familiar passage of scripture, the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, just this is not part of this lesson. It's not, it, it's not relevant to the subject matter necessarily. But, but just want you to notice something about this verse. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. If you're going through a wilderness experience, it doesn't mean that you don't have the Holy Ghost and you're not Spirit-led. All right? There's some people that anytime they go through trouble, they think, well, God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't care. The Holy Ghost, I don't have the Holy Ghost anymore. No, everybody say he was full of the Holy Ghost and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You going through a wilderness experience is not an indication that you are forsaken, forgotten, or not anointed. Amen. Just file that in your brain for the next time you go through a struggle and you're tempted to think, well, I guess I don't have the Holy Ghost or the Spirit's not leading my life anymore. Verse 2, and being 40 days tempted of the devil. In those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. There's no revelation there. You go 40 days without eating, you're going to be hungry. Go 40 hours without eating. 40 minutes. <laughs> you go 40 days without food, you're going to be hungry. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Notice that the enemy attacked him exactly where he was weakest at the moment. He attacked Jesus where he knew he was weak. Secondly, he tempted Jesus to misuse his ability to satisfy his flesh. Remember this, Satan will always watch you to see where you're weak. And he'll always try to get you to misuse your ability, your power, your personality, talent, authority, whatever, to satisfy the flesh and not the spirit. Look at verse 5. And the devil taking him up to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world. What are those last, what are those last five words? In a moment of time. Everybody say, in a moment of time. Y'all with me? Come on, 11 weeks. We only got a few more minutes. 11 weeks and seven months. The devil taking him up to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. A couple of points here. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He offered him power 
in the world. But it wasn't just power. It was power. He showed it all in a moment of time. Can I tell you that the biggest struggle that you're going to have in living for God is overcoming the desire for instant gratification. Let that sink in for a minute. It was not just about the power of the kingdoms. It was the power of the kingdoms in a moment of time. You can have it right now. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go to the tomb. You don't have to, you don't have, to have an upper room in a church and wait a couple thousand years for them to get right. You don't have to wait till after the rapture and the tribulation and the, and, and, and the, the millennium. You can have it all right now, Jesus. You can have instant gratification. Get it all. You don't have to wait. You can have the instant gratification right now. Anything that promises instant gratification is generally something that feeds your carnal nature. I'm going to say it again. This is one of the most important things you got to you got to remember is that anything that promises instant gratification generally glorifies and feeds the carnal nature. True health food is never at a drive-through. It's a Whopper with cheese and some of these you go through the drive-thru and now they show how many calories. You can get a thousand calorie Whopper. (laughs) Truly healthy food is never at a drive-thru. And instant gratification is almost always spiritually unhealthy. Most of the great mistakes I've ever made in life I made by going too fast, not by being patient. He said, I, he showed him all the kingdoms in a moment of time. And then Satan said, if you worship me, it can all be yours. If you'll please your flesh, the devil will please your flesh to get your worship. The devil will please your flesh to get your worship. You don't have to say, I worship you, Satan, to be worshiping Satan. Almost everything we do is an act of worship one way or the other. At every temptation, Jesus used the word of God as his defense. Let me go just a little further. Luke 4, 9 through 11. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Notice this, the devil took him high to try to cast him low. He brought him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down. The devil will always lift people up in the event to get them down low. You don't believe it? How many people have you seen the devil get high to their life end up in a gutter? He took them high to take them low. Self-control. Temperance. Self-control is the key to godly living. It's not exciting. 
It's not near as exciting as, as uh, signs and wonders and miracles and all that. But I'm going to tell you, self-control is the key to godly living. If you'll learn to control your flesh, you can serve God. Most of the biblical standards are there to teach us to not allow our flesh to run wild and to submit ourselves to the word and the will of God. So let's wrap up this series of lessons. 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's self-control. Exceeding great and precious promises. God's exceeding great and precious promises are to help us. They're given to us that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature to get God's nature into our nature and to escape the corruption of lust. So how do I get his divine nature into my nature? How do I get his personality into mine? Look at the next verse. Besides this, and beside this, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity or love. He said, here's how you get his divine nature into you, the fruit of the spirit. If we'll give all diligence, make it a big deal, concentrate on it. I was, my, I was uh, talking with my daughter, Kate, about something a couple uh, well I talk about the same thing over and over and over and over and I know that because she told me I do I was telling her I was telling her a couple days ago I said Kate family's everything you always stand by your family family's everything you don't try to embarrass your sister you don't try to that was the real message don't, don't you, family's everything she said dad you tell me that all the time I said, well, I tell you that all the time because it's true. Family's everything. You got to be diligent. You got to be diligent about teaching lessons. How many of you know you can't tell your child something one time and they get it, right? You got to be diligent. Well, let me tell you, when it comes to self-discipline, you've got to give all diligence. You've got to make it a big deal. You gotta make it a big deal to get the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's gotta really matter that we practice self-control and faith and temperance and gentleness and kindness. It's gotta be a big deal that we make it a big deal how we treat other people. And that when we don't treat them properly, we don't just excuse and say, well, I was just having a bad day. We gotta give all diligence to it. You gotta make the fruit of the Spirit a big deal in your life. Amen. Give all diligence, concentrate on it, focus on it, make it important, implement it. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, kindness, charity. Practicing and focusing on these will get his divine nature to overcome my human nature. And then the, very, the next verse, the very next verse, 
For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You got to make these things a big deal because I don't want to be barren. You know what the word barren there means? Here's what the, it's the word argos in the Greek. Here's what it means. Inactive, unemployed, lazy, useless, idle, at leisure. Do I need to say him again? Probably wouldn't hurt, would it? Barren is inactive, unemployed, lazy, useless, idle, and at leisure. People who have the fruit of the Spirit don't just sit around and do nothing. Well, man, I should have stopped this lesson just one paragraph earlier. He said, if you practice these things, you won't be barren and you won't be unfruitful. God, help me have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. As your eyes are closed all over this place, two last verses, Galatians 5, 24 and 25. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections thereof. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. God, I want to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Oh, Lord Jesus. God, help me, Lord Jesus, to put these nine fruit of the Spirit into practice in my life. Help me to be so full of the Holy Ghost that it grows in my spirit, oh God. Help me, Lord Jesus, to practice, to practice these things, to make them a big deal, to not just brush off personality flaws and weaknesses and just say, well, it's okay, that's the way I am. Because when you filled me with the Holy Ghost, you gave me power to become a son of God. You gave me the ability to become more through you than I could ever be on my own. And so, God, I pray that you help us, God, to be full of the Holy Ghost and for the fruit of the Spirit to change my carnal nature into your divine nature so that I won't be barren or unfruitful. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, help us to be the people, the men and women that we're supposed to be in Jesus' name. Why don't you lift your hands to heaven and thank him that we finally got through with this whole series. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Lift your hands to heaven and just talk to him for a minute. Oh, praise God. Lord, help me. Help me to be more like thee, God. Help me to be more like thee. Lord, help me to be more like you. Come on, is that your prayer right now? God, help me, Lord Jesus, to be more like you. Help me, God, not just to develop my response to music. Help me not just to develop my response to the kind of church services we have, but help me to develop a character response to your spirit God that when your spirit begins to move in me that my character becomes more like you God help me Lord Jesus to manifest the fruit of the spirit because a tree is known by the fruit that it bears help me be more like you God help me be more like you 
God, help me, Lord Jesus, to be more like you. Why don't you stand with me and lift your hands to heaven? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to make it a big deal, God. Help us to give all diligence to growing in your word and in your spirit, to be a disciple, to make disciples. God, to really reflect the values of your presence and your word. God, I don't want to just know how to clap my hands to music and talk in tongues and shout. But God, I really want that authentic experience to change me to the very fiber of who I am, to make me more like you, to help me reflect your values and virtues. Lord, not to make excuses for the weakness of my flesh, but God, to value self-control, self-discipline, love, joy, peace, gentleness. God, help me, Lord Jesus, to exhibit on a daily basis those values and virtues, Lord, that come from having a walk and a relationship with you. Amen. Why don't you worship him and just praise him. Let the Holy Ghost move. Let the Holy Ghost seal something in your life. Oh, God, I want to grow. I want to be more like you, Lord. I want to be more like you, God. In your image, in your likeness, after your way. God, I want to be an authentic Christian. I don't want to just know the phrases and the lingo. But God, I want there to be an authenticity that comes from the effect of your spirit working on me from the inside out. Transforming my attitude, my mindsets, my ways, my actions, and my reactions so that I can serve you with clean hands and a pure heart. So God, when I lift my hands to worship, it's not, I'm not having to wade through a bunch of condemnation and conviction because I didn't let the fruit of the Spirit move in my life. And that God, when I pray, I don't have to pray under condemnation because I didn't allow your word and spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, to make me what I'm supposed to be. Help us to walk uprightly before you. Help us to seek you and search after you. And Lord, we praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed in Jesus' name. God bless you. Remember, Sunday's going to be a great day.